The Intrafish podcast is brought to you by DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, accelerating sustainable and profitable aquaculture. Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, joined by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. We're going to dive down into a couple of stories from the past week. Uh, It has been, of course, another interesting, very busy week, as it always is in seafood news. Um, We're going to look at a couple... um, Kind of different ones, ones that we haven't really dived down into in a while. Um, a while back, I think you remember, we talked about the uh, main lobster fishery. Uh, we talked about Seafood Watch, um, the, the challenges that that fishery has faced um, because, of, uh, because of marine mammal uh, regulations because of allegations of uh, potential impacts on on whales and there's so much debate uh, over when any entanglements happened when the last time was uh, what kind of gear uh, whales are being uh, entangled in or if it's shipping vessels or what it might be it is an absolute uh, hot box and uh, and there are so many opinions on it but uh, long and short of what has happened for the fishery is its Marine Stewardship Council eco label was suspended Marine Stewardship Council let me just pause for those that don't know what it is it's the largest eco certification um, in the world and the the MSC Ecolabel is kind of a ticket to entry for a lot of uh, retail and food service companies, particularly in Europe, but also in the U.S. It's at least um, in one way or another, every major retailer, every major food service company that you can think of has made some measure of commitment to the the Marine Stewardship Council uh, over the past um, couple of decades. Uh, Maine. Uh, lobster has had the certification um, and uh, it was holding that it did have it suspended for a, a brief period got it back and then um, there was a court case um, a, a ruling in July that uh, that said that uh, the what the the main lobster fishery is doing to um, avoid um, and reduce the risks of endangering right whales Uh, didn't meet the requirements of the U.S. Marine Mammal Protection Act and the Endangered Species Act. So um, the suspension that came in the wake of that uh, led to uh, the lobster sector looking for an expedited audit to get that certificate back. Um, And um, news broke last week that they have dropped that effort. Um, There are opinions on why they did that. There are strong opinions as to why that was a good idea. Um, the the group that was the client for that certification, the Maine Certified Sustainable Lobster Association, uh, some members there say they're still going to pursue it, but they want to step back, um, get their ducks in a row, um, kind of produce the, the information that's needed. Because 
you know, there's there's so uh, there's so much evidence uh, that the sector uh, says they have that there have not been any interactions uh, with whales, um, or very very few uh, over the the past um, decade or more. Um, and so the the uh, the allegations of the industry is that the MSC uh, data um, that was was used um, uh, was actually outdated, um, or the, the, the data that was presented on, uh, on the whale entanglements was outdated. So anyway, going to be more efforts on that to, um, to, to possibly get that certification back. But there's also some people that have said, you know, it is maybe not a, uh, a certification that the fishery needs. This is not the first time that fisheries have said that the MSC certificate is not important to their uh, the sales of their products. That hasn't typically been an opinion that people have held for a long time because they have tended to hit uh, a wall of reality from their client saying, no, that's not the way it works. You have to have an MSC certificate. But lobster may be different. Um, so let's talk about it, John, with that uh, kind of long intro, which shows just how complicated it is. Um, what was your uh, what was your view on what the uh, of the decision for the, the lobster sector to step away from that process? Yeah, I mean, it surprised me a little bit, um, given, you know, all the years of being involved in it. Uh, also, given that the Canadian lobster fishery still is carrying the MSC uh, seal. So, but after the, after the story we did, um, I mean, you can only walk away with one conclusion from that story. And you, you said it a few seconds ago, it's they don't really think it matters in the market. Um, you know, they think it's not a big deal for their customers. So, you know, let's let's keep in mind that an MSC certification is an expensive undertaking all the way through from the certification itself to the companies maintaining their chain of custody certifications. Um, it, it costs money, it costs time, and uh, it's it's somewhat complicated from a paperwork point of view. So if you're faced with, well, our customers don't really give a hoot about it, um, and now you have this this opportunity to walk away from it. I think that's the the you know the calculus being done in in the heads of many of these main uh, lobster people, and they're saying, eh, let's uh, let's put it on the shelf for a little while and think about this. Now the interesting part is. Uh, the Canadian fishery just last week, I think it was, or the week before, there was a bona fide entanglement of a right whale linked to that fishery. We haven't heard yet really what the MSC is going to do in this case. Um, we suspect that there will be something um, to address this Um when the fishery is up for an uh, uh, annual audit, which I don't know when that is exactly, but 
they could also the MSC could also call uh, you know like an immediate audit to to really address what what may be the problem here. So um, we'll have to see where that goes. But I will say I want to broaden this out just a tiny bit because this is something you and I have talked about for many years and. Uh, the MSC started basically in 1997. The whole sustainability movement built up over the, the, the past decades and has solidified itself in the seafood business. And that's indisputable. That's fact. And, you know, some people hate it. Some people like it. Some people, some fisheries will never get it. Some are working to get it. So it's just embed is what I'm trying embedded is what I'm trying to say. However, the world is changing in the sense of climate change. And I think the MSC may have trouble keeping up with these changes as it pertains to fisheries. And what I mean by that is as fisheries move out of their normal ranges, uh, as fish move out of their normal ranges and the fishery is fundamentally affected because of that, um, whether it's in a different location now or um, uh, the biomass is, is uh, being reduced, the, the MSC certifications are going to be in conflict with this. And I'm not really seeing um, how that's going to work out. The right whale is kind of an example that there's a lot of belief that the whales are migrating differently now than they were, you know, years ago. And that different migration is taking them into fishery areas where they hadn't been, thus interacting with, you know, in this case, lobster, perhaps. So, um, I'm really interested in understanding how that will happen, how climate change will impact what has been the stability in sustainability certification. You know, it's it's just been kind of stable for years, but it feels to me like something fundamental is going to, to shift here over over the next decade. It's interesting. I mean, I think climate change is, is one for sure uh in in terms of um the potential impact on generally on sustainability because there are sustainable fisheries that there's no way for us to know if they're going to continue to be sustainable or if they're going to be in somebody else's waters and we see that with the northeast atlantic and and kind of and the problems they're having managing pelagic fisheries i mean you think it's bad now just wait till these fish start moving all over the place um i don't think we're gonna have the cod wars again when iceland and the uk were taking up arms to fight over cod um but uh uh but i do think that you can see um you know like you said john issues like this continuing to crop up we've seen the bering sea and the um collapse of um of the the red king crab fishery uh, there, um, and the snow crab fishery, uh, it, it, it's expected to recover, but again, there's these fluctuations that are happening and they're extreme fluctuations. So, um, the Marine Stewardship Council is theoretically designed to be able to, um, 
you know, to, to ride those fluctuations. And, and the key is that the management r remains robust. Stocks are going to fluctuate. That's a fact. But um, there's there's it's much more than just kind of the, the biomass being down one year and up the next year. These are, are big things, like you said. Now, the other thing I think that's interesting about um, eco-labeling and sustainability is, um, like you said, John, it's, it's kind of even hard to imagine um, that the industry was so anti, <laughs> I want to say anti-sustainability in terms of the concept. Um, I think the industry, when you rely on a, a, a fish um, and given sort of management practices that were already in place, there was obviously support for those fisheries, uh, for, for these fisheries to remain healthy for years and years and years. That's obviously number one. But but the the idea that there was to be a third party arbiter of that, um, that you couldn't just kind of rely on your um, government agencies to manage them, that you needed somebody to tell you, yes, third party, this is a sustainable fishery, here's the stamp. I mean, the opposition to that was was insane 20 years ago. Um, and it's amazing to see how that's changed. But I do think now that it's become the ticket to entry, now we have these other issues cropping up that are taking on more uh, more importance. Emissions uh, alone is, is sucking all the air out of the room. Uh, in terms of, of what sustainability is all about now. And um, in, in, in uh, concert with that are human rights. In fact, there was a big report that just came out from uh, a human rights group about how all these different eco-labels, including the MSC, are not uh, living, or they, they don't, it's not that they don't live up, it's that they don't have, uh, they don't have any, um, key indicators for how to take to for how to ensure that these fisheries are meeting uh, human rights standards. So it's a report from the Human Rights at Sea. If you want to find that uh, and and read it, it's called uh, it's called Does it do what it says on the tin? But anyway, I think those are kind of interesting things that may indicate that um, all to say that that uh, an eco label may not be enough. I don't think. Any fishery can probably get away without having uh, some kind of eco-label, and the Marine Stewardship Council is so big and so influential, I'd be hard-pressed to see that anybody could step away from it. But I could be wrong, well, John. We don't have great examples of people doing that and being successful. Well, but, I mean, a fundamental... Well, why won't they step away, right? I mean, um, because as far as a marketing and market access... Uh, stamp of approval, if you will, it has become um, vital, I guess, uh, I, in most cases, I would say. But I will ask you, do you think the fisheries are better managed because of the MSC's efforts over the last 20, 30 years, whatever it's been? Do you think things are, if they hadn't come along and none of this happened, do you think we We'd have fisheries in ruins. Do you think it'd be just as it is today? That's the part I, I, I wonder about sometimes. I understand, like, the label. It's 
evolution and how it's become, you know, a must have really just to be in the marketplace. I still don't think consumers know what the hell it is, but that's a whole nother discussion. But, but at the wholesale level, you know, it, it's, it's like you said, it's a ticket to, to get in the, into the show. So, uh, but my question is, has it made any difference in the water? I'd argue that it has in terms of uh, not in, I, I think there's some fisheries that would have remained robust because the management systems were already in place. Um, but I do think it's led to a lot more engagement among, uh, among retailers in particular, among other stakeholders along the value chain and just having people think about these different issues uh, in a more um, in a more directed way, meaning that companies don't just uh, kind of um, you know uh, meet the rules and then beyond that not have to to care too much about their practices. Um, so I, I just off the top of my head, there are fisheries I think that wouldn't change that have not changed that much because of the MSC. First one that comes to mind is Alaska salmon. Nothing's different. It's the exact same way it's been managed for uh, hundred years, um, and so uh, I think you'd be it would be naive to say that the MSC has changed a lot of these fisheries management practices to make them more sustainable. I think it's better to again see it as a uh, basically a audit that these fisheries are uh, are being well managed. And I think that's sort of the confusion, right? Is there is this confusion that, oh, if you get the MSC stamp, you're, you're making changes. That's very rare. There are objections processes and there are, um, you know, guide. Uh, there, there's um, different areas that you get uh, scored on that, you can make those scores go up or down with a few changes, but they don't seem to ha have that much teeth in terms of they don't seem to uh, those little things don't seem to actually dictate whether or not you have a, a certification. Um, that's why I think the suspension of the lobster fishery was so different. Um, you know, and I guess it's because of a, of a legal ruling and maybe that's how why this was different but there's changes all the time that I do wonder uh, if the MSC is going to be able to react to those quick enough as you said um, for example about climate change um, so to answer your question I think in some cases yes uh, especially some of the smaller scale fisheries I think there's been some some help to get management systems in place for those fisheries um, but some of the larger Western, uh, larger fisheries in the North were really already sustainable, um, in terms of their management practices or as sustainable as the, the management, uh, of those fisheries was managing them to a sustainable level, I should say, whether or not the fisheries are sustainable, that has nothing to do with the MSC that has to do, that has nothing to do with, with a lot of things that has to do with the uh the food and the water and what happens in the ocean so um i don't know did i dodge your question well enough no 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 i, I think i think that's a good way to put it i i really do i i love the 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 first part of what you said it was it, it's just kind of brought the whole supply chain 
together to you know um, understand first sustainability and then work work towards it i mean uh, the example i use all the time is uh, at the retail level on the highest corporate level of retailers krogers all those all those guys um it is part of um their policies you know and it's not just for seafood but seafood was one of the first ones that if you're sourcing seafood you have to source it um through a third-party certification in most cases it was msc if it was wild um so yeah so i totally agree with that um I am. Int- I, I do not think that Maine, if indeed they entirely walk away from the label, I don't think that will spread to other fisheries. I just don't. I just don't think that's. You know, we're at, we're going to see something like that because, you know, in the story you referenced that uh, Rachel wrote this week. Um, you know, lobster's different. It's 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 just different. It's first of all, a lot of it gets sold at food service, and there's no certification labels going on there that face the customer. So, you know, that's that's a little different. And at retail, um, you know, if it's Valentine's Day and you're you're um, you 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 want lobster. <laughs> It's an impulse thing a lot of times. You know, oh, we're going to have lobster tonight. Yee! Um, and there you go. I, I don't think you're going to go there and go, oh, my. Oh, shit. I was going to buy this, but it's not MSC. Uh, oh, honey, uh, we're going to have to settle for uh, some cod. Maybe some Pollock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think... Uh, I think the jury's still very much out uh on whether or not the the MSC eco label is going to change purchasing decisions in that way i think they can say pretty clearly that there's been um on the retail side of things that they've gotten uh retail buyers to change but i'm not sure to what extent um any any of the uh, that you can say that the MSC actually changes um purchasing when people get in the store generally in the stores i think if you're going to marks and spencer or waitrose or whole foods yeah maybe because you're already stepping in there with an expectation of something you know a, a more at least a more expensive product um but you're you're thinking maybe that you're getting something more sustainable there as well um and not only that you know just in thinking about maine uh lobster and its uh sales demographic um I mean, for example, it's, I mean, one, one person quoted in, in Rachel's story said, you know, it's, um, when all the tourists come up in Maine, they all want lobster. I mean, that's not going to, you know, eat up all the lobster that's caught annually. But, um, like you said, it sort of sits outside of the, the industry in an interesting, uh, kind of way. Now, the other thing to think about is, uh, China which has been a massive market for lobster, in particular Canadian lobster. Um, uh, You know, many of those processing uh, companies up in Atlantic Canada, a lot of them have uh, Chinese owners just to get that flood of product over into China. It's such a popular uh, species um, with Chinese consumers, especially upper middle class, middle and upper middle class consumers. 
And I think that you will see and have seen, I'm just looking at the NOAA uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Fisheries Department. Uh, they have a trade database and I'm just pulling it up here and, um, you know, the exports of lobster from the U.S. to China have exploded since around, well, they were almost next to nothing in 2010, um, about 300 kilograms and they're up to 6,000, or I'm sorry, 300 metric tons and now it's up to 6,136 metric tons, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's lobster, that's a lot. So let me put it in terms of money, uh, in 2010, about $7 million, $7.3 million worth of lobster was shipped from the U.S. to China. And in 2022, uh, $145.6 So <laughs> it's becoming a big market. Now you saw a blip, right, during COVID and also because of um, trade battles with, uh, with China as well. Um, so you saw a big hit in 2019, but anyway, it just, I, I think, um, I think there is probably an argument to be made there that, um, you know, that, that in some ways having an MSC certificate for Maine lobster may not be the absolute, uh, crucial thing that it can be for other fisheries. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay, now let's, uh, shift, uh, to another story that, um, definitely <laughs> you don't see on our pages that often. Um, and, uh, it is a story about, uh, Norway's largest cold water prawn harvester, Stella Polaris. Um, they catch cold water prawns in the North Atlantic on large trawl vessels. And they, uh, they, they, applied for some funds, some research funds from the Norwegian government um, to study, to look at a feasibility study of putting nuclear reactors on uh, trawlers, to power trawlers. And wow, the response to this was pretty funny because it's so, it seems so outlandish that putting a nuclear reactor on a fishing vessel, when you put it like that, when you say putting a nuke on a boat, it's, it just sounds like the worst idea in the world. But, but, this is why I really, this is the topic I chose, that I, I argued with John that I wanted to talk to, about today, because I really feel like this is not a bad idea. And uh, why is it not a bad idea? Um, I think that, uh, well, let, let's just say this, the, uh, the development director at Stella Polaris, I think he said it best, his name's uh, Jaran Rao, and or maybe it's Haran Rao. Uh, I'm sorry, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, but anyway, he, he said that uh, we're simply taking the initiative to discuss nuclear power. Radical challenges such as climate and sustainability require radical solutions. I really admired that they were uh, looking into this idea. Now, listen to some of these statistics here. So a large shrimp harvesting vessel typically takes on 350,000 liters of marine fuel every five weeks, uh, towing two to three fine mesh trawls. Um, think about that amount of fuel and the cost that goes into that. Now, by the way, callback, the Coldwater Prawn Fishery is Marine Stewardship Council certified. Um, it's got a great track record of, of being uh, 
not only sustainably managed, but Norwegian trawlers, um, they have invested a lot of money to ensure that the crew are uh, enjoying their, uh, their work there uh, so far as they can in some of those high seas. Um, so you're talking about a, a fishery that's, that's really kind of exemplary. Um, so why not change uh, the fuel when it changed this one little thing? Over to you, John. Nukes on boats. What do you think? Oh, well, like most Americans, nukes scare me. So um, my knee-jerk reaction would be like, oh, no. But um, I think when you, again, broaden this this discussion out a little bit, you you have to, like you say, you kind of have to applaud them for thinking in this direction because – we know fossil fuels are running out and we don't have many, if any, uh, large commercial fishing vessels that are electric. I'm not saying that won't come, but when you're dealing with uh, a product that you have to go out to sea for months at a time and you know sail around and find it and then sail on back, I mean, you highlighted, you know, just a few alone is is really expensive. So, you know, it it's just part of this ongoing evolution of the world right now uh, in the context of climate change. And does anybody think all these vessels, these factory trawlers and these larger vessels, even the smaller vessels operate in... Uh, Bristol Bay or, you know, uh, the inshore cod fishery in Norway or wherever it may be. Do we really think those will be running on diesel fuel or whatever fuel they use, you know, a decade or more from now? I mean, it seems unlikely to me. I mean, look at the uptick, the pickup in electric cars. I mean, at some point, we're going to reach the tipping point where gas stations are going to be completely converted to um, electric car recharging stations or some whatever you call those things. And um, is, so that that change is coming now is nuclear is a mini nuclear reactor. My first choice, probably not. But um Hang on, folks. This is, you know, sign of the times. I think, uh, and part of why I wanted to raise this is just to get that discussion going about fuel and about sustainability because um, fishing has a disadvantage now to aquaculture. I know there's been a lot of life cycle analyses and I've seen a lot of reports that have put um, fishing at having less carbon emissions and aquaculture there, it, there's a lot of different reports and a lot of different ways that you can look at some of these reports that can um, sort of favor whichever one you, you, you want to favor. But um, I still think that the fishing industry, their big issue is going to be emissions. And because that, that is, you burn so much fuel um, you're out there catching a sustainable product, assuming that these fisheries are sustainable and well managed. So there's and, and there's still there's still interest, demand, uh, desire to have wild 
fish uh, and wild seafood. And there is an efficiency to how uh, it can be harvested in fishing vessels uh, and large trawlers. I know, I know there's a million different things about trawling that, uh, that people can attack me on and you know where to find me if you guys want to um, fill my inbox up, which people do all the time, especially with our podcast, John. But anyway, um, so if the fishing industry wants to keep up with all these changes that are happening in, uh, in aquaculture to become more sustainable, and those changes are happening so quick... Um, I think fuel and how these vessels are powered needs to be really high on the agenda. Now, whether that's electric, like you said, John, there is sail technology, which is kind of interesting. Um, There is uh, all kinds of different ways of looking at fuels. Um, Nuclear power is one of those unfortunate things that there has been, um, you know, it's so associated with terrible uh you know horrible tragedies and um and that should keep people skeptical to a certain extent um but at the same time um you know the techno technologies change and the emissions out of nuclear power are um pretty pretty amazing um what they can do this could be a zero emissions uh harvesting activity Similarly, there's other fuels that have the same kind of, uh, of, of amazing potential. Hydrogen, um, but again, one very tragic but very high-profile accident 100 years ago, the Hindenburg. Um, that is part and parcel of why people are reluctant to embrace hydrogen uh, fuel, and here we are a hundred years, a hundred years later, things have gotten a little bit different people in technology. That's humans for you. Um, but I think that, that this is technology that, that could be, uh, that could be absolutely game changing, but it's one of those things where getting people to change their minds about these things is really, really difficult. So I really applaud Stella Polaris for bringing it up because Nobody else, uh, or very few people, are going to be kind of bold enough to say, you know what, why don't we at least look at a feasibility study? Because why not? Otherwise, nobody's going to look at a, at you know, at, at finding these different fuels. So, um, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's uh, interesting. Well, and when you think about um, fishing's ability to mitigate uh, climate change um, related things versus aquaculture especially land-based if if we want to throw that in there i mean if you're running an aquaculture operation a lot of times you can have solar power you can have some sort of wind power you can have alternatives to you know uh, standard fuel um it's a little harder at least at this point right now to do that in in a commercial fishing venture so that in essence, that will obviously give aquaculture one more advantage as as time goes on. So it, it's really interesting. I mean, you just feel like so much is is already has already changed, but is 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 going to change here in in the very short term. So um, yeah, I again I 
I don't know about nuclear power on a boat, but um, I I do, as you did, applaud these guys for taking a look and trying to think outside the box, as they say, uh, and and you know push push the discussion forward somehow. What do you think about these new horseless carriages, John? You know well, that, that uh, Henry Ford is putting off the uh, putting off they'll, the line there. They'll never catch on. They're dangerous, <laughs> and they have they're like a bomb. They have fuel in them. They'll explode. Yeah. Don't buy one. Yeah. Now, I can see from a from a PR perspective, oh, <laughs> good luck. Uh of course. Um man. Uh oof. That's going to be the absolute hardest hurdle, but from a power and and a any emissions perspective and an efficiency perspective, these kind as you said, John, these kinds of ideas have to be put on the table. And, you know, the seafood industry is notorious for coming late to these parties. And because it's a traditional industry, you do things the way you've always done it. And then um, that's kind of how the industry has gotten itself in a bind on on um, sustainability, for example, both in aquacultures, uh, aquaculture and fisheries. So, But, um, you know, with the nuclear situation, you only get one mistake, right? I mean... The Exxon Valdez, I know it wasn't a fishing boat, but it spilled oil all over the place. That didn't stop, you know, oil tankers from operating the next day or anything like that. And it hasn't stopped them, obviously. But if your (laughs) fishing boat melts down in a nuclear disaster, I'm pretty sure that's the last boat on the planet that's ever going to be equipped with nuclear power so you know the margin for error is uh let's just say slim <laughs> well i don't know don't pretend you know how a nuclear reactor leaks or whatever i, I, I don't I either i don't know anything about a nuclear reactor i'm not trying to make pretend i do but i do know when they go bad they go horribly bad <laughs> <laughs> you just hey you just tell the crew to be careful it's just like with the hindenburg you put those booties, put felt on the bottom of your shoes, and uh, don't cause any sparks, and everything will be just fine. As much fun as it is to give them a hard time, again, I wanted to, to, to talk about this because I hope it generates some discussion out there about uh, different ways to, uh, to uh, power vessels in the fishing industry because, again, I mean, you've talked about this, John, in the past. I mean... Um, and maybe this is a little bit of, of romanticism here, um, but having wild fisheries is, I think, an important part of our culture as human beings. Um, I don't think we should be harvesting everything. I think we should be harv- harvesting only sustainable fisheries, and I, I do take some issue with every single species in the world showing up on all over the place. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to be selective. Um, but at the same time, it is an important part of who we are, and I think moving towards sort of a um, a monoculture or a I would say maybe a triculture of aquaculture species. Um, mm, I don't know that that might be uh, that might be a, a a difficult thing for humanity to completely step away from um, from a wild seafood. But again. I mean, this is this is my own romance, I guess, about the sector. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, let's not forget how many jobs around the world are tied to fishing. You know, I mean, 
it 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 may it may be romantic in in some ways you know the the lure of the sea and you know and you you fished your family fished i have one of my sons has fished um you know i've fished i i know i know what it's like it, it's it's kind of cool and you're right i mean i i think it would be a loss if that all went away and i i don't feel that it is going to go away but it's going to change just like anything else and this uh particular example we're talking about with powering vessels is is probably one area that will get a lot of attention in the coming years so um yeah yeah so enjoy enjoy your nuclear powered boat drew well maybe my next car um maybe that's what <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. we'll see but uh yes well it's going to be fun to hear what people have to say about it. i hope people uh hope it generates some discussion as our podcasts usually do last week man all right i get it i get it people like their fresh fish counters um people were very uh very unhappy with my idea not my you idea but my embracing my embracing uh the idea of the fish counter maybe going away or at least kind of not being everywhere John argued you against it. You Apparently, fire, brother. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. People want fish counters, but you know, a lot of people agreed with you, and um, a lot of them pointed to, you know, poor quality and poor uh, service at these places. And that's one thing we pointed out several times in the podcast. It's like you you gotta have knowledgeable people behind the counter. One and two a uh, good product has to come in the back door first because it's not going to be made magically better in the fish case sitting out there for a day or two so you know a couple couple things to keep in mind folks yep i stand by I stand by my assertions but um, yeah, yes whatever. i did not realize just how passionate people were about it i should have i guess but um, anyway keep the keep the emails coming um, we we actually uh, we love it because that's part of what we um, uh, really enjoy with our podcast as we get to talk and, and give opinions and hopefully get um, people out there talking, uh, whether it's on social media or uh, on our pages. So uh, remember, you can contact us, editorial at intrafish.com is our general editorial inbox if you have uh, tips, story ideas, uh, complaints. If you have complaints, it's john.fiorillo at intrafish.com. Any, any hate mail, John will get it to me. Just send it to, send it to him. Um, now, we have Boston. Well, first, we have Bergen, uh, the North Atlantic Seafood Forum coming up. Um, and that is next month and we'll be there covering that. Um, that's always a great show. Uh, it's, it's got so many, um, top executives there. So, um, I'm looking forward to that. Always learn a lot there. Um, and then the month or sorry, just a few, oof, just a few days after that is the Boston seafood show. And, um, everybody's excited for that right now. I think it really does feel like we're kind of getting back much more back from uh from the pandemic than we than we have been before and we have an event on march 17th that uh will be held there on uh or actually will be held that morning on the 17th um and that uh we've got great lineup of speakers silver bay seafoods clearwater 
uh, Seafood Exchange, Red Lobster. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll be uh, moderating a debate there, and it's always a great crowd. Um, so hopefully you can see us there. It's intrafishevents.com. And then remember, last little plug to go to intrafish.com. Of course, if you're not a subscriber, you should be. Uh, there's uh, plenty of information on what you get with your Interfish subscription. Uh, if you are a subscriber, as I mentioned last week, John Fiorillo uh, has a new newsletter coming out, The Wave, and it's going to be covering downstream markets, retail, food service, uh, consumer trends. I've seen early drafts, and I'm really excited about it, so I'll look forward to editing it and getting it in my inbox. Um, so that's easy to sign up to if you're a subscriber. Um, so don't miss that. It should be uh, hitting your, your desk uh, soon. So thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next time. Intrafish podcast is brought to you by DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, accelerating sustainable and profitable aquaculture.